Good morning, church. So glad you joined us today. Um, so Jordan is out, but you'll get to hear the blessing of hearing a message from Sean. I've been talking about it with him this week, and I'm excited to hear it. I hope you are as well. Um, please join me in prayer, and then we will stand and begin with our worship start, as we always do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together to worship your name as a body. Help us to never take for granted that bless, the blessing that that is, that with no fear and with joy we can gather together to praise your name and to worship you. Uh, please, Father, as we continue in this time, help us to be focused on you and you alone and to worship you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So please stand and read this with me. Oh God, our God, you are welcome in this space. As we gather, may my lips praise you, may my eyes see you, may my ears hear you, may my mind focus on you, may my heart be changed by you. This is a sacred space, change me in it. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. Oh, ye who hear, thou to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad
have a couple announcements for you that I think are important. So first, and I'm really excited about this, we are going to start a Bible reading plan. As we just finished experiencing God, we want to continue to provide you and help you study the word and be with God. So you hopefully got a green bookmark when you came in. If you didn't, come talk to me. I'm happy to get that to you. And it will also be emailed to you weekly and daily. But it's just a, that's a guide of what passages to read every day. And then in your email, you'll get a quick thought or a quick question uh, to help you think about and help you process and help you kind of further study the word of God um, as we continue that. And also, you may be wondering what's happening with Wednesday nights, how experiencing God is over. The next thing we will do is so we are going to continue to meet. We will not have Wednesday night this week because of Thanksgiving. We want you to spend time with your families. Um, but then on November 29th, we will have a time of focused prayer for our community. And then on December 6th, we will have a preparation for our toy drive. And speaking of our toy drive, if you have a donation for that, please bring that by December 6th so we can arrange it and get it ready for them to, dis- to distri- distribute. Mm-hmm, that's the word. Okay, uh, big, small, new, used, doesn't matter, but we want it to be something that you would be comfortable with, your child or grandchild putting in their mouth, playing with, all of that, okay? But we want new, used, if you have something, that would be great. If you have it today, um, there is, you will see, if you go out into the foyer and turn left, you'll see a bunch of toys that people have brought. Feel free to put yours there. Uh, that would be fantastic. And so the reason this toy dive is really special is, I don't see Jackie today, but yesterday we had a Thanksgiving for our distribution. A lot of the families that we serve food to, food to every week uh, have, never had a, have never had a Thanksgiving type of thing before. They don't know what that is. The food was new. The experience was new. So we wanted to, and Jackie and Steve and the missions team wanted to put that on for them. So we were here. We had 150 people came to get some, clo- get some clothes that we had left over and also to eat, just to eat Thanksgiving. They got to hear the gospel. They were prayed over. We got to talk with them and meet them. Um, and so I say all that to say, God is working. Um, that's one of my favorite things about getting to work here and to be here with all of you is seeing that every day and seeing that every week. Um, and so if you ever grow discouraged, look around, focus, you'll see what God is doing. And at the very least, you'll see the people that he is reaching through that ministry and through many others that we do. So I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to pray for that ministry and pray for all of us that we will continue to see how God is moving. So please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you continuously work, that no matter our sin, no matter the brokenness of the world, no matter what is going on in society, that you are working and you are moving, and that your plan is unstoppable and is not able to be overcome by anything of this world or anything outside of this world. So, Father, I pray that you will give us confidence to see that, pray that you will give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you are doing. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to distribute food to so many in our community who need it. Um, Thank you for the opportunity that we get to be a light to them. Help us to to always be joyful about that opportunity and to to take steps to continue to build that and to to help that thrive in the way that you would have it thrive. And Father, lastly, as we approach a time to continue in worship and to hear from your word, pray that you will help us to, to have open ears and open hearts willing to listen and to be changed by what you are bringing through Sean and through your word. So thank you, Father, for all that you are and all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain seated.
stand with us as we continue worship singing the doxology praise God from whom all blessings flow. Oh, 
Father, we praise you for that truth. Every breath that we have is from you, and every breath that we put how it should be praised returned to you. So, Father, forgive us for the, for the many times that we fail at that and for the many times that we become so focused on ourselves that we forget to look to you who has given us life and every good thing that we have. Father, as Sean comes and brings a message from your word, I pray that you will not allow us to be distracted, that you will not allow us to, to think about anything other than what you would have us learn from your word today. Help us leave this place with every day of our lives, today, Monday, the rest of our lives changed by what you do in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, church. Am I on? Oh, good. Well, I've got good news for you, church. Um, normally, my sermon notes are about one page, and I just kind of go through my sermon notes. Um, today, I have three pages, so we might be here a while. That's, while that is true, okay, I do actually have three pages. I know why, okay, and some of you can at least feel my pain. Okay, the last time I was up here and I was having to read from my Bible, it was a little hard to read. It, so I have big text so I can read to make sure that I have my text right and my passages and all that stuff. So I'm getting a little older, uh, but maybe getting a little wiser as well. Um, you know, make that happen. Um, today, though, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 18 and we're going to move all the way to verse 31. Um, so I'm going to start with a nice story about my life because um, that's what pastors do, right? We tell stories about our lives and you're like, ooh, ah, uh, okay, this is not a wonderful one. It's about me as a teacher. Most of y'all know I teach. Um, I've been doing that. I've been a teacher now for going on 11, 12 years now. Um, I have taught everything from audio video to engineering and now I teach financial math. Okay, I teach financial math to 12th graders, um, and it's a fascinating thing. Okay, first off, everybody needs to take a financial math class. Okay, that's what I've decided. Um, it's more important than calculus. It's more important than, you know, trigonometry, financial math. Okay, and here's why. I get up there, and I tell my students all the time, like, guys, let me tell you how to make money, how to be wealthy, how to be successful with your finances. There's one big element, there's one big thing, and if you can do this one thing, you will be successful. Spend less than you make, right? Very simple concept. They look at me like I am just crazy. What do you mean, Mr. World? I'm like, so if you have $100, don't spend all of that. Spend some of that and save some of it for a rainy day or something like that. They, th this concept really is foreign to these 12th graders. And at first, I was really just confused because that seems so simple, doesn't it? Something so simple. But I want you to, I want to read some statistics, okay? The average American has between $5,000 and $8,000 in credit card debt, which equals up to be about a trillion dollars. Students owe $1.7 trillion in student loans. Over $12 trillion are tied up in home loans. $1.5 trillion in auto loans. It took me a moment to realize that the reason why this was such a foreign concept to them is because it's really a foreign concept for all of us. We don't understand that going in debt is a bad thing because the world is telling us, go into debt. Hey, it's, it's okay to take a little credit card. You deserve that nice trip. You deserve this new car. You deserve this really luxurious home, don't you? It's okay to go into debt for those things. So when I'm trying to tell these students something like simple, like, hey, just spend less than you have, I might be one of the first people to actually tell them that. 
And then most of the time, they don't see it reflected in other people's lifestyles. That concept is foreign to them. Because the world has taught them that being in debt is okay, and it could be a good thing. Now, today we're going to see something very similar in Scripture. It's an interesting text because it's, it really does kind of boggle the mind of a lot of people. I'm going to start off, like I said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read to, to uh, verse 21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent. I will frustrate where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Even the Bible talks about the craziness of the cross. It doesn't make sense. I mean, let's, let's be fair. If we really take this back, take a step back. The message that Christianity preaches is a Jewish preacher who preached in the backwaters of a, the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. He had no real formal training. Followers were mostly uneducated. This man was the Messiah... And he died on a cross for the sins of the world and then was raised again after three days. Okay, the modern world thinks that's crazy, right? If you ask any scientist or scholar, you know, they would like, that seems a little far-fetched. What's interesting, though, is as I was doing my studying and stuff like this, I was learning, even back then, this was a foreign concept for many people. This was not something that people looked at and said, oh, this makes sense. There's actually this really famous, it was famous to me because I know it, uh, piece of graffiti. It's called Aleximus's Graffiti. Okay, very fancy. I have a picture of it on the, the screen, if you can script, flip to it. Okay, it's hard to see right here. Okay, don't worry, I've got you covered. Okay. This is the actual graffiti. It was about 200, it was written, uh, put down in the stone about 200 AD at a scribe school in, the, in, uh, in Rome. Okay? If you flip to the next screen, it should have the actual image. And it's Aleximos worships his God. as a man worshiping a figure on the cross with a donkey head. The scribe was making fun of Aleximos because he said, this cross thing doesn't make sense. Your God is like a donkey. Even 200 years after Christ's death, they were already sitting there mocking the idea that a Messiah would come to this planet, die for his people, and raise again. That is the message but over history, we've had brilliant minds. C.S. Lewis, believe in Christ. Isaac Newton, devout Christian. George Washington, very uh, faithful Anglican, uh, Anglican. We've had heroes of the faith who are incredibly intelligent, far more intelligent than I will ever be, sit there and go, the cross is what I follow even though it doesn't necessarily make sense. <laughs> See, I like to start off by thinking that God is showing us, even through the foolishness of the cross, that everything is broken, even our minds. We think wrong. And God is going to use those things to shame the wise, but also show us how we desperately need him. We jump back into the text in chapter, uh, verse 22. See, the Jews demanded signs, and the Greeks, they look for wisdom. But we preach Christ 
crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Jews looked at Christianity. They looked at Christ when he was doing his messages and he was going around from town to town. They always wanted signs. There was actually, uh, scholars would say, they were looking for one real big sign for their Messiah. Are you the one that is going to free us from the Roman captivity that we're in? Are you going to be our warrior king? That's our Messiah that we're looking for. We need to see that you are the one. And they constantly ask over and over and over throughout the text, show us, show us, show us. Now, the Greeks famously had Stoics, and they would sit around and they'd talk and they'd, they'd sit down and reason. You'd had philosophers, great philosophers of their time. Um, they would sit and they were considered to be very intellectual and very wise in their day. And they looked at the cross and they said, this doesn't make sense. I, do we kind of feel that way sometimes today? What else do people, what maybe, what do you demand from your faith for it to be actually something you believe in? Maybe you need success. God, if you can provide me success, I will believe in what you have to offer. Maybe, maybe it's something more simple. Maybe it's just happiness. Maybe, God, if you just make my life easy and not so difficult, man, that is what it's going to take for me to follow you. Church, I believe both of those things can happen. As a Christian, you can be successful, and you can have happiness. But I also believe that Jesus preached the gospel, and when he was preaching, he would say, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. That doesn't seem very happy. That doesn't necessarily seem very successful to the rest of the world. Maybe, maybe you need to be successful monetarily. Maybe you need to have a good amount of money. Okay. We have all these different things that a lot of times we tie into our own personal faith that maybe we don't even realize that we're doing. I do. I do. When time is tough, I get frustrated, right? I mean, let's be fair. Life can be very difficult. It's difficult for me. And I come home and I'm like, God, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. I come home sometimes from school, wore out, wore out. Maybe my, maybe my principal gave me a whooping for something, you know, I don't know, right? Maybe we had a meeting that, and anybody who's a teacher that knows when you have a school meeting, it's almost always a complete waste of time because they've already told you 47 times. And, and maybe this is pretty much anybody who's in a meeting. They could have sent that in an email, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, you just wasted an hour and a half of my life, which you could have just typed that out, right? And so maybe, maybe it's just I'm frustrated with that. Maybe a student smarted off in my classroom and I got frustrated. Maybe I come home from a, a Wednesday night service and I thought, man, that was not a good message for me and I'm really frustrated about that. God, maybe I'm looking at the situation at the church and I'm like, this is not what I expected Maybe I thought I'd be farther along, and then I said, God, this is not what I signed up for. What, what, how does any of that have to do with the gospel, the message of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. God never said, if you follow me, you will be successful. You will have all these followers. You will have all these people ooing and aahing. You'll become the greatest teacher, Sean, of all time. People are going to look at you. They're going to write books about you, Sean, because you're that good. You are special. No, it's, 
It's any of that. Most of the time, we look throughout Scripture, God chooses the foolish, uh, you know, the weakest of the world. So I'm looking at myself going, oh, wait, what are you saying about me now, God? We've been talking about David recently. Little shepherd boy, a nobody. God says, I'm going to use that nobody. Was it because David was special? No, it's because he was since you know sincerely seen by the rest of the world as inferior and god's like i'm going to use that vessel that boy to change the world why why does god do that to shame the wise let's keep going chapter or verse 26 brothers and sisters Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble by birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and 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 the despised things, and that the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him, because it is of him that you are in Christ. I want to repeat that. It is because of him that you are in Christ. Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. That is our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, Let one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now, that's a good verse. That's a good verse. What do we boast about? What if God is using us to shame the wise? But what do we lean towards? What does the world lean towards for knowledge? Is it science? Sure. I like science. Like I said, I I taught engineer for several years. I love the idea of understanding how God has created this universe and how things work. I'm not very good at it, but I like it. But you know what? Even people, famous scientists, will be, if they're completely honest with you, um, I found this quote from Neil, De- well, it's not really a quote, it's just from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, he was talking about who created the, you know, how did, who, how did the beginning of the universe begin? And he goes, I have no idea. I once heard an astrophysicist, he was talking, he was a Nobel Peace Prize, I forgot his name off the top of my head. He was from Australia. He was asked how the beginning of the universe was created because he was a prized astrophysicist. His specialty was on the Big Bang. And he goes, I have no idea. He goes, you would be better off asking your rabbi, your imam, or pastor. He goes, because they have a much better understanding of how the beginning of the universe was created than I will ever have. That's kind of telling to me. Maybe we look towards the rich and the... Right? Hey, he's got a lot of money or she's got a lot of wealth. Maybe we listen to them and that's how we will become successful. That's the things in life that we need. There's a famous quote that was popular really in the 80s and early 90s um, by a guy named Michael, uh, Malcolm Forbes. It says, those who die with the most toys wins. Do you remember that? He's dead. He... <laughs> Died in 1994. I don't know if he's winning right now. Maybe it's the powerful. Maybe we look to people who have power, whether it's politically or or just maybe political sway or whatever that may be. There's a famous um, quote uh, that says, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's by a guy named Lord Acton. He understood that power isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Maybe it's fame. I want to be the next American idol. And no, I do not. 
You do not want me. I would be one of those people on the first episodes, you know, where they're like, okay, try, do something cool. And I get up there and they just make fun of me. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm that guy. Right? Albert Einstein had a really interesting uh, quote about fame. He says, with fame, I become more stupid. Which is a very common phenomenon. People who have strived towards these things have seen that they come up empty. They may answer a few things, right? Science may be able to tell us how grass grows or maybe how uh, ecosystems work or something like that. Being rich, hey, that can solve a lot of problems, you know, being taken care of and things like that. But the big picture questions, hey, what are we here for? Not, they're not touching. I think the Bible is trying to show us right here through these texts that God says we can't figure this and do this on our own. Because it doesn't make sense to us. We try. We look around and we go, this doesn't make sense. The cross doesn't make sense. And God's like, I know. But I'm going to use it in a way that will radically transform the lives of you and those around you. It transformed David, like we said, the 12 disciples, these un mostly uneducated young men. We think about Moses, who most believe he was a stutterer. We have Paul, even Paul, who was considered to be a, almost a rock star of his time because before he became a Christian and then he tanked everything. Okay, first off, he was a murderer, and he would claim that. He goes, man, I'm a murderer. He goes, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of the worst, and God can save me. Why? Because it's not about me. It's not about what I know. It's about what God is doing and his transformation in my life. The beauty of the gospel is just saying, God, I know I can't do this on my own because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this brings me back to a problem. God has invited us to be a part of his restoration of the world. I, do, I truly believe that. He has called us to be a part of his ministry, to speak truth, to be a light in the darkness how do we do that then? For a world, just like my students, right, who couldn't understand that don't go in debt, then you'll make money. You'll have money. How do we do that? Well, I came up really with three points that I want you guys to meditate on and pray about. And what's funny about it is even the church sometimes, I feel like we miss them. We miss the mark. So, how do we change and communicate the gospel to those around us who desperately need to hear it? Number one, probably the most important and the one we do the least, we need to pray for them. If you are not praying for your family, your friends, for your worker, you know, other workers at your job, if you are not praying for them, We've already got a problem. The Bible says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus literally prayed for them on the cross as he was being crucified. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Prayer is such a vital thing. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of times we turn prayer into kind of like this systematic routine, right? We pray before the sermon. Maybe we pray before dinner. Maybe we, we have that moment where we go to bed and we just say, okay, God, thank you for all this stuff, okay? Or, or whatever that may be. Or if we're really good, when things are rough, we're like, okay, God, I'm in trouble right now. I really need you. Okay, and I'm, look, can I be fair? I'm, I am, you, you know me, I've been here so long, and you're like, you are ADD, Sean, okay? You know what's hard for ADD people? Pray, okay? 
it's not easy for me because I'm sitting there, dear God, and I start my focus on my prayer, and I'm like, did I, did I turn the microwave off? Why would I need to turn the microwave off? Huh. You know, and, and then I'd start, you know, thinking about maybe like the randomness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or something like that, and then I go back, okay, God, back to you, and then I, uh, squirrel, right? And then another one and another one. Okay, it's difficult to pray sometimes. I get it. Okay, my attention span is small. But over and over again, we see in Scripture that prayer is vital to changing the lives of those around us. I've used this illustration before, but I think it needs to be uh, revisited for just one moment. One of my favorite things about the Billy Graham, uh, when he was doing all his revivals and things like that, was the fact that he would say, he goes, the power of my revivals were not me getting up there and preaching. Okay, he goes, it was the fact that for a year prior, I had people praying nonstop. He literally had, they had signups where churches would sign up and pray for that specific revival for a year. At one o'clock in the morning, there was a group of people praying for that revival. Theologians and scholars and people, Christians high and low, have asked why were these things so successful? Billy was a very charismatic speaker, okay? But he, he wasn't that great. I think it's because he understood that prayer is vital. Two, second one. Show them through your own actions. We have to be, church, men and women of integrity. I mean, I think that goes without saying. But People watch us. Maybe people at your job, maybe people, your family, your loved ones, daughters, sons, cousins, nephews, they are looking at you. And I'm hoping at this point they know your faith, but they want to see that you're real. When I was younger, there was um, one of my Sunday school teachers was talking to me about... uh, his faith in actually witnessing to an, uh, uh, his group of, like he was, I don't remember where he worked, but all his guys, friends went out afterwards and they would go to the, the, uh, get a drink or something like that. And he would go and he would sit and he would have a good time with them. He would not, okay, let's just be fair, us guys, we can get ourselves in a little bit of trouble when it's all of us, you know what I mean? We get a little bit, a little crazy. We start talking about things, maybe a little, you know, a little rough, okay? But he never partook in those things. He would smile and he would move on and he would sit there and, and go back to it and didn't really think anything of it, but he was like, look, a man of integrity is not gonna jump into that. That's not a conversation. I'm, now, he didn't go in and he, said, he even said it. He was like, I'm not gonna go in and just belittle all these people because, Lord, they know not what they do. But he always was invited and he always went. He said three years down the road, one of his, one of his co-workers came up to him and says, I got a question for you. He goes, yeah, sure, sure. He goes, why don't you ever jump into these type of conversations? He says, I've been watching you for three years Three years, and not once. And he was able to share the gospel with him at that moment. He says, see, he goes, you know I'm a Christian. He goes, and I believe as a Christian we don't need to be diving into those things. He goes, I, I believe that we need to love one another. We need to lift one another up, okay? And I, I feel like me jumping into that is, is not being a man of integrity. He goes, that man became a Christian that day. That's something I want. Which leads us to our last point. We got to give them an opportunity to experience it. What do I mean by that? Well, I truly understand that I can't save anybody. I wish I could. But I can't. I can point. 
through my actions, through my prayer, I say, hey, let's go this way. Let's, let, me exp- let, me, let me show you why life is different for me. It's, it's like the blind leading the blind, right? You can't just, come on, I, 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 I cannot solve all your problems, but I know someone who can. And I want to give you an opportunity to experience that. Maybe, maybe it's through something here on Sunday morning. You know what I feel like, where I feel like a lot of times I really kind of like, man, God is working in these places. Like yesterday, feeding 130, 140 people. I didn't even know, I mean, I couldn't even communicate with some, most of them because they didn't speak English. But it was neat to sit there and see these people and go, man, God, I thank you for this church to be able to support the needs of the community around us. I got to experience that. It was, it was rejuvenating for me. When we do those types of things, invite people to experience those moments. So often I feel like we get embarrassed, right? It's like, eh, well, you know, this is something I do. We kind of push them away. It's something like that. How are they ever going to know Jesus if they do not have an opportunity to experience the great thing he has to offer? And I get it. Some of this stuff is difficult. What I love about these three things is realistically, we have two, two major types of people in the world. We have the introverts and the extroverts. I, I am more on the extrovert side. My wife is more on the, well, not really. She's kind of extroverted. Let's, I'll use uh, Madison for an example. She is an introvert. Okay. She will tell you, she's like, introvert. Okay. She, she can still pray for people. Right. You can still do one of these things. Okay, you know, I don't want to go up to random strangers. I'm not there yet, Sean. Great, I'm not asking you to do that. Can you pray for them? Yeah, sure, you can do that. Okay, now, ADD myself, right? Maybe I struggle with prayer. You know what? That doesn't give me an excuse not to do it, first off. I need to remind you of that. But you know what? I can get out there and talk to people and sit there and smile, you know, and invite them in. But church, we need to get to a point where we are doing these things. It, it, it's nothing if it's just on my paper. It's not, it, the, the power is gone. In the end, though, it literally says, I want to go back to this, let him who boasts, boast in the name of the Lord. What I love about this, this is actually a very freeing passage to me. Some people go, oh, I don't necessarily feel like I like that. Okay. I boast because it's not about me and it's about God. And there's nothing that I can do to stop God. I've tried. There's moments in my life, I'm like, God, I'm going to try and go the other way. And God's going to be like, and no. Go ask Jonah how that worked. Okay. So I can boast because God is doing his thing, and I'm just getting to be a part of it. So what's really interesting is when we, you know, you don't have to pull it back up, but looking back at that graffiti, Alexamos's graffiti, um, that particular picture, like I said, it was found in a Roman school of scribes. You know what they taught there? I don't. Do you know the name of the person who actually wrote or put that on there? I don't, but do you know what I do know? Is that Christianity outlasted him. That what he saw as foolish has taken over and continues to impact and be a mighty force on this planet today. 2,000 years later, this person's forgotten. Jesus is not. Some random Roman, or out in the backwaters of a, you know, a Jewish little community, sitting there changing the life of the world while this dude mocks it. And 2,000 years later, we can look at that and we go, you dummy. I don't even know your name. How foolish of you. I want to give you an opportunity right now. I want to give you an opportunity first. We're going to go to a time of prayer and just invitation.
First, maybe there's somebody on your mind that you need to pray for. I want to give you an opportunity to pray for that person. Brother, sister, father, mother, daughter, son, whoever. One of the most powerful things, like I said, we can do is pray for people. Two, I want to give you an opportunity to experience who God is. Maybe you're listening to this message and you say, Sean, okay, this all sounds nice and good. I don't fully understand it. Great. First off, neither do I. Right? Foolishness of man. But I promise you, I have experienced the great things that God has done. And I can say for 100% fact that he is for real. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to change your life and let you live a life that is far greater than anything you could imagine. The world might not see it that way, but I promise you, it is. So I want to give you that time right now. Go with me in prayer. If you want to come to the altar, there might be a place where you, I've, I've said this before, you might just want to sit down here and pray. You know, I am 100% on board with that. If you need to pray at your, your seat, I am 100% on board with that. But we need to be praying for this community and those people around us. So will you go with me in prayer? And if you need to talk to somebody right now, I need you to come on down and talk to me. Um, and if you, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you can talk to me after the service. But I promise you, I cannot let this time waste, be wasted. God wants to do a radical thing in your life, and I want you to be a part of it. Let's pray. God, I need you to move in this church. Move in these people. As we continue to praise you, let our light, let your light be shown through us. We love you.
Well, church, I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you celebrate it um, and have a wonderful time. Just a reminder, we will not have service our Wednesday night so you can be with your family. But I would love to dismiss you with a simple little prayer. The Lord bless you and he keep you. May his face shine down upon you and may he give you peace. Y'all are dismissed.